Today is Proverbs 30, today's the 31st, right? So I had the whole opportunity to read that whole section about a virtuous woman, um, Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 31, but I decided not to. Um, I've done it before, but I picked verse 1, which is the most unexpected verse for me to use. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. That's the proverb of the day. In fact, I, just, I don't normally expand on this, but I just, we'll just say this about this proverb. Leave it up there if you would. This King Lemuel gets the, gets the headlines here, but the truth is the underlying thing, that all, this whole passage, he was taught by his mother. Way to go, Mom! Mother's Day is coming. Just mention that to you right now. So, God, as we get into your word today, we, um, we tender our hearts before you and say, Lord, help us. To, um, to hear what you would have to say, and whatever is not of you, let it blow away by so much, like so much chaff. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today we're in um, the book of Jonah, and I, I looked back through my records, my te- I keep track of messages that I do and so forth, and I can't see that I've ever taught from the book of Jonah as the primary text, except back when we were teaching Sunday school a gajillion years ago. Um, so um, the book of Jonah, I, I, I wonder... If you've ever heard of a guy, if you, some of you sports fans may have heard of him, a, a guy named Wrong Way Roy, Roy Regals. You've heard of him, Lisa? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't count. I mean, okay, so um, he was an All-American center, played football for, the Cal, Cal, um, for, for Berkeley, for Cal Golden Bears, and uh, they were playing against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in the 1929 Rose Bowl. And so um, he was, um, here's his picture, this uh, wrong way, it wasn't, his name wasn't wrong, wrong way, it was, uh, was uh, Roy Regals, and um, it, it was a very, very tight defensive battle between these two teams, and um, there was a play where you'll see here, pay attention, and you'll see the ball there, it gets loose, and there's, there's Roy, he grabs the ball and starts running the wrong way in the Rose Bowl. His team pulls him, his teammates pull him, and they stop him at the one, <laughs> and oh, no, what is he doing? You know, like, oh, no. And uh, even Stumpy, whoever Stumpy was, wants to encourage him. And this video is just heartbreaking to watch what happens at the end. Nobody's with him. Oh, no. Oh. (laughs) Poor guy. You know, while that whole thing was going on, the opposing coach from the Yellow Jackets was, 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 there's a quote from him, and he said, he's running the wrong way. Let's see how far he goes. An interesting comment, and uh, and and this happened uh, before half, and um, the, uh, the you know Roy expected at halftime for the coach to bench him. He thought, you know, I've ruined this game. They were ahead. Well, let, let me put this: they ended up g- giving up a safety, which is of course two points. They lost the Rose Bowl that year by one. Um, but before that, before it got to that point, he was he was in the halftime, and he really expected the coach to say, "You know what? You're not going back in." Now, this guy was an All-American center. He was a real real athlete, a player. And his coach said, "You know what? The game's only half over. You get in there and finish the job." And he played his heart for the second half. I mean, obviously, um, I wonder if you've ever felt like wrong way, Roy. You know. Maybe, maybe the Lord told you to go one direction and you decided to go the opposite. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe people sitting here right now today in church were running from God. 
I think you can be in church every Sunday and still be effectively running from God. You can run away, run away from the Lord God. You can run away from his plan and his purposes for your life. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the story of Wrong Way Jonah and his call by the Lord to go one direction, but he went the opposite. And we're going to find out in this story a couple of things. We're going to see that it's impossible to run from God. It is. It's impossible. And we're going to discover that God loves to give second chances, even when we fail. So if you feel like you need a second chance, this is your, this is your story today. Pay attention, because God's still giving out second chances. Now, in this whole story, we're not going to read the whole story today. I think you probably already know the story of Jonah and the whale. Um, we'll come, we're obviously going to be in that scripture. But in that whole thing, you can actually read the entire book of Jonah over a donut, it's four chapters. They're short chapters. You could sit down with a cup of coffee and a donut and probably read it twice before the donut's gone, unless you jam it, right, in one deal. Then it will take you before you get it all down. Anyway, so you can read it. And, and, and in this story, the Lord uses, he uses a, a storm, a whale, and a worm. And, um, you know, most people don't think about, oh, Jonah and the worm. But there's, there's actually as much, I mean, th- they think about Jonah and the whale. And, and I love the fact that God uses animals. I mean, it's... But here, the, the fact of the story is that this story is not about the whale. It's not. There are only three verses in this entire book about, that even mention the whale. One verse is really only one. The one says what happens. He gets swallowed. Another one happens to mention that he's praying from the tummy of the whale. And another one where the, the whale spits him out. So, I mean, there's really only one verse that says he gets he gets, he gets affected by the thing. But, but this is what we all know of Jonah and, and the whale. And really the story, this entire, this entire book is about Jonah running from God and then this, this great revival that breaks out in this big city um, that swept over the city of Nineveh. And I love the fact that God uses this great big giant animal to um, accomplish his purposes. And I love animals. I, you know, I, my thing is Lisa and I, when we go on vacation, we're really going to look for animals we look for animals every time we go out of the driveway. We expect them to show up at our dinner table. We can, <laughs> not to eat, but I mean, we expect them to be out the windows. You know, come on, we want to see animals. And, and, and I, I really look forward to that time frame in our future, that millennium time frame when Jesus is ruling on the earth. And Isaiah talks about what's going to go on with animals there. Um, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. And, and then verse 9 says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. God is interested in this, this, this kingdom that he created. He, he, he created animals. He cares about animals. And he absolutely, supernaturally uses them. He does. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I mean, I, I went through and I found several. There are lots more than these, but here are some examples of some supernatural uses by God. Noah, um, at, after the, all of the rain, he, he used a dove. And basically the story is, was, the description was he released a dove and he was wanting to know whether there, there was any dry land appearing. And um, you can read through this in the book of Genesis. But eventually the dove, show, dove shows back up with a branch a tree branch, a little tiny um, um, olive branch in its, in, its, in its mouth, which was a signal that how did the dove know to go get that and come back? Because doves don't do that. Do you have doves showing up with olive branches at your window? It's not a normal thing. It was supernatural. Um, all, half of the plagues, when you read about the plagues, when, um, when Pharaoh would refuse to, to let the Israelites go and God started um, releasing these plagues, half of them involved animals that didn't happen before or after. 
I mean, you can say, well, locusts come and go and flies and frogs. I don't know. You hear about that a lot, do you? No, it was, they were supernaturally used by God. My favorite, it's probably my favorite. The next one might be my favorite. It's, the one I'm looking at now is always my favorite, but this one is really cool. This guy named Balaam, who was, um, he had a donkey and um, he was a prophet. And the, the, the opposing nation is trying to get Balaam to pronounce a curse against Israel. And he's kind of on his way to go do that. And there, he's traveling along with his donkey and, and the donkey just kind of does one of these things. Not going to go another f- step further. You read the scripture, and the scripture says the donkey saw an angel standing in the pathway. I'm not going past that angel. The donkey was smart. Balaam couldn't see the angel. He's, come on, let's go. And he beats the donkey three times. <laughs> and God makes the donkey talk to him. And basically, this is a paraphrase. He basically says, what have I done? The donkey turns to Balaam. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Do any of you ever kick your dog? I mean, you shouldn't. But can you imagine kicking your dog and your dog turning to you and going, come on, Terry, what's with this? I sit on your lap. I bark when the neighbors, I protect you. What, what did I do to make you kick me? What would you do if your dog talked to you? Imagine this. And I, I mean, okay, my little imagination, I run on. I'm thinking, okay, now he's got this friend. He's got to have these ongoing conversations. He likes traveling in the silence. And now the donkey's always wanting to talk. Shut up, just give me a ride, you know? I don't know, but God makes the donkey talk. (laughs) That had to be hilarious, right? I mean, probably wasn't funny at all to Balaam or the donkey, but another example is Daniel. He's in the lion's den. The, 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 The lions should be eating him up. They're hungry. When people, that's their feeding system. They get fed, the dinner bell rings, but they don't eat Daniel. Why? Daniel says, angels came, and somehow those angels talked to those lions and said, don't eat this guy, he's innocent. And they didn't do what came naturally to them. It was supernatural. There's um, the story of the fish who brought the coin. There was a temple tax that was being charged, and the disciples had to pay a temple tax. And and Jesus says, go fish, and there's going to be, you know, so... They catch a fish and opens the mouth, and there's a, drac- there's a coin in the fish's mouth. Supernatural use by God. I mean, um, <laughs> here's another really good one. Elisha is going somewhere. He's going to Bethel. And um, the story, the scripture says that a bunch of youths started mocking him. Hey, Baldy! <laughs> they called him Baldy. And he gets ticked off, and I don't know, some sort of a curse or something. And then these two female bears, Scripture says, they mauled 42 of these, these young people. <laughs> That'll just teach you don't make fun of a preacher who's losing his hair, because <laughs> we got bears, you know. <laughs> and then, I mean, I mean, okay, so, and then, I mean, you can read in contemporary press that there are animals that save lives. You, you, you'll read stories about dogs saving people's lives. Never cats. <laughs> cats don't ever save. You could be on your floor, drop down there like a thump, and you're having a heart attack, and a cat will crawl up on your chest and start doing this, giving itself a bath. They won't give a rip. A dog will do something. I read about a guy whose dog used the cell phone to dial 911. Okay, so the guy had apparently had a seizure. He had a, had a diabetic thing going on. He had trained his dog. This is not supernatural. It's just 
a dog. But he had trained his dog that if he, if he collapsed, the dog was supposed to bite on the phone. He bit on the phone. It went 911. They came and saved the guy. Pretty cool, huh? And then uh, there was another story I found of a, of a guy whose SUV drove over a thing 43 feet deep or something like that. And the dog jumped out of the car and ran half a mile to the neighbor's. The dog's name was Honey. Honey went and got the neighbor, and they got help save the guy. Yeah, pretty cool. Here's, here's, a, here's one that was a news story I read, and I believe this is another supernatural like the Old Testament examples we read. This is uh, about an article. Okay, so um, this, uh, it's, I'll just read the article. This excerpt, a pastor who is ministering from the middle, in the Middle East was reportedly saved by lions who prevented a group of Islamic extreme, extremists from attacking him and a group of Christians. Pastor Paul led worship services there one, on Easter Sunday while a group of believers was gathered and he was leading uh, a service. Militants came upon them brandishing weapons. We had no idea what to do, Pastor Paul recalled. The group of Christians thought they were about to die. Just then a lion appeared out of the forest and began to attack one of the militants. The other two militants tried to fight the lion off, but then two more lions appeared. The militants ran away in fear, and the lions left Pastor Paul and his group alone. I guess they were Christian lions. I don't know. (laughs) Equally astonishing, Pastor Paul added, records show that there are no lions living in that forest. Okay, so I believe the Lord did and does use animals supernaturally. So here's the story in, of Jonah, and we immediately think of Jonah and the whale. I mean, but there's only those three verses that deal with the fish or the whale, and, and a, a, a theologian, one guy I read, G. Campbell Morgan, said, he said, men have been looking for so long at the great fish that they failed to see the great God. Well, I want us to do that today, to see the great God. And I think, I think some people, maybe many people, struggle believing an idea that a man can fall into the sea and be swallowed by a big fish. And I think, really? You struggle with that? But do you, how do you deal with Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, if, if you believe that, if you believe that much, the story of Jonah and whatever the fish does, that's really not an issue for you. And, but, but, but here's an even better reason for believing that this story is true. And um, we can find that the story of Jonah was actually validated by Jesus Christ himself. And we see this, in at least, and he did it at least two different public occasions. Matthew 12, we'll read about that. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees a- answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They were saying, hey, prove it. We've heard some stories. We've heard some miracles. We want to see it with our own eyes. Come on, show us. They're mocking him. But he answered and he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Let me pause right now and and tell you that was absolutely me. Before I was a Christian, before I came to know Christ and and I knew something of the gospel, there was something in me that said, prove it to me or it ain't so. I want to see it in a test tube. I want to be able to measure it and poke it with my own finger. Right? That was me. Same thing. Verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh would rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So here's Jesus validating the story He does it a second time. You see it uh, several chapters later, uh, Matthew 16. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Another time. He basically says the same thing. 
When it's evening, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Not only did Jesus validate the story, but he used it to illustrate about his own death and resurrection. This, the story told in the book of Jonah is a real, literal event. And uh, Jesus himself verified it. And so the story here is about a guy who has a mission, he's got a job to do, and he just flat out refuses to do it. It's also the story of God's just his, his, his patience, his long-suffering, his, his willingness to, to forgive to people who would stop running from him and instead start running towards him. And, uh, but Jonah didn't want to. And I, I, something to f- for us to keep in mind is this. God will always have the last word. God always somehow ends up with the last word. In fact, it took, I think, it, it, the story here, it took longer to, for God to shape his servant's heart and to get him to obey this call than it did for the entire godless city of Nineveh to repent. And I'm not sure things in culture have changed all that much since then. So an awful lot of times, we have to convince Christians of the importance of the Great Commission. Today, the body of Christ is just, we're just kind of awash in, in conferences and concerts and, and worship times. And I, I'm all for those things, by the way. I think they're all really good things. But Jesus didn't tell us to go into all the world and have conferences. He didn't tell us that. He commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So let's just get into our text here and see what's going on with this call between God and Jonah. Jonah 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, let's pray as we get into that. Lord, as we kind of get into this passage in your word, we think about, he's called the reluctant prophet. It's more than reluctant. He just was rebellious. Speak to us, Lord, because I think sometimes we can be like him and go the wrong way, go the opposite direction of what you've said. And if there's anybody here today or hearing this message that's running from you, running from your plan for their life, Lord, would you, would you just wake them up? Wake them up and just get your arms back around them, Lord, and bring them back home. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we stand too quickly on Jonah's neck here, have you ever tried to run from God's will for your life? I mean, don't raise your hand. But have you ever think this through? This is rhetorical. Have you ever done a wrong way, Roy, where you've been going in the wrong direction because you were thinking that you had a better plan for your life than God's plan for your life? I mean, maybe it was some specific verses in Scripture that you just didn't want to follow, or maybe it was... God's calling upon your life um, to do something, and you just just didn't want to do it. That's Jonah. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was one of the great cities of the world, uh, in the whole world at the time. The walls of the city were so wide that you could run three sets of chariots abreast on the top of the wall. 
Um, there were streets in Nineveh that were uh, up to 20 miles long, which is, that's an unheard of at, at this time that there would be streets that long. And the walls were 100 feet high. It's a really an impressive place. But it was also really big in another way. It was really big in sin. The people there were, were just renowned for several things. They were renowned for their wickedness. God, God talks about it in verse two, for their wickedness has come up before me. They were renowned for their cruelty. The prophet Nahum talks about this in one of the other um, Old Testament books. And here's just a couple of excerpts. We don't need to turn there. It said, the corpses are everywhere. People stumble over them and they fall again. That's crazy. The beautiful... This beautiful and faithless city, this mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with their beauty. She taught them to worship their false gods, enchanting people everywhere. That's terrible. And now he says, he proclaims against the city, um, Nahum in his prophecy, he says, you are fatally wounded. There's no hope for you. But everyone claps when they hear this news because your constant cruelty has caused them pain. You can, this, is, this was probably Jonah's what was circulating in his heart. They were just known for their savagery, the way they treated their, their people. They, were, they would plunder cities and they would burn young boys and girls alive. I mean, they, they, would, they would torture adults and the way they would do it was terrible. I don't even want to go into it. But archaeologists have discovered at the city monuments that were built that people would build and they would inscribe on there some of their things, kind of like a trophy. Here is a couple of excerpts. I cut the limbs off of the officers who rebelled. Another one said, within the border of my land, I laid and spread their skins upon the walls. Another one said, I cut off their noses, their ears, their fingers. For many of them, I put out their eyes. This is, this is kind of typical. These are wicked, depraved people. I, I think they make the Nazis look tame by comparison, some of these things that they were doing here. And for these people, God says to Jonah, go tell them the good news. Go preach the gospel. Now, Jonah, he's a Jew. He's, these people are the sworn enemies in, uh, of Israel. And, and God tells him, get up and go. And he did, but he went the other way. <laughs> and he was pretty much as far from Nineveh as you can get. He was, he was about, instead of a little bit to the northeast, he was about 2,000 miles to the west. He's, he's taken off to Tarshish. And, 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 there, and a lot of us, I think, at times are in boats to Tarshish. You know, and God's saying, go to Nineveh. There are two roads in life for us, generally. I mean, there's a road that goes to Nineveh, and there's a road that goes to Tarshish. There's a, it's a road that is the will of God, and there is a road that is um, disobedience to his will. So my obvious rhetorical question to pop out there today is, what road are you on? What road am I on? Am I on the road to disobedience, or am I on the road to obedience? Am I on the road to what God tells me to do, or... Am I rebelling against what God's telling me to do? So the question to ask here, there's several questions. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? What's the real reason? Well, there's lots of possibilities. Maybe it's because he thought he'd be unpopular there. You know, um, He knows they hate Jews, and he's thinking, I don't want my eyes gouged out. Um, or maybe he was just unconcerned. Maybe he just got calloused. He didn't care about the people. He didn't care about their plight. He didn't care about their children. He didn't care about the impending judgment. He thought, hey, hey, hey. They deserve it. It's not my problem. Maybe he thought it'd be too difficult. There are going to be people. This would be really hard to do. There's not going to be any support there. Um, it's inconvenient. And I, I, the real reason I think that Jonah didn't want to go is because he knew his mission would succeed. <laughs> he knew God would forgive them. 
and give him a second chance. And he didn't want him to have a second chance. Here's what Jonah says to God um, um, after God spares Nineveh in this huge revival breaks out. He, he says, this, we're not there today, but he says in chapter four or two, he says, didn't I say before we left that, 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 that you'd do this, God? You know, that's why I ran. I knew, I knew you were gracious and compassionate, God. I knew you were slow to get angry, you were unfailing love. I knew how easily you would cancel your plans to, to discipline these people. Lord, I just knew you'd do this. I knew you'd forgive them. You know, so much now for the idea of the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. You ever hear people say, well, I don't really believe in the Old Testament God. He's always angry and vengeful and cruel. And I believe in the New Testament God because he's full of love and compassion and, and, and gracious. Newsflash, the God of the Old Testament is gracious and loving. And the God of the New Testament is, is just and righteous. I, I believe in the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament because he's the same God. And he's full of mercy and love. Yeah, I think the slide was up there ahead of me. So for, verse two, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah wanted God to take them out. <laughs> he wanted these people eliminated. The thing is, I think, and I've heard this, not from anybody here, of course, but I've heard people make comments where we kind of like the idea of, you know, believers, sometimes there can be this perverse pleasure where we picture, well, God will get them. They'll get theirs in the end. You know, where even the idea that, well, okay, this is going to cost them and they're just, they're going to end up in hell and there's a perverse pleasure in that. We got to get off of an attitude like that because we all deserve that. We all deserve God's judgment, don't we? We do. I mean, and Jesus didn't say, hate your enemies, you know, and, and, and hope that judgment comes upon them. In fact, he said in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I think, you know, you maybe can picture in your mind somebody that you actually wouldn't mind seeing them go to hell. Maybe it's, you know, your boss or your marriage life has been terrible and maybe it's your husband, maybe it's a neighbor that drives you nuts, maybe it's somebody who is always, always, always making your life hard. And maybe they actually are headed to hell. And that should break your heart. It really should break our hearts. Maybe one of the reasons Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he was racist. He was. He was racist. And I mean, he's this patriotic Israeli guy, and he hastened and invites. He didn't want them to believe. And um, I think there are people, obviously, today who are racist. I do think that word gets thrown around way too much in, in our culture. It becomes a political, um, you know, get out of jail free. It's, 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 it, but, but he was a racist. He wanted this entire group of people eliminated. He didn't know any of them, and he just wants them out. And I just asked the question, this is a little tiny rabbit trail, but are there, is, are, is there a group of people or is there some individual that you hate? Are you a racist? Is that down in you? God told Jonah to go. He didn't want to go. He wanted those people to be destroyed. But what God wanted was to give him a second chance. So the Lord says to him, go and preach. Now, 
In the original language, um, the verbs that are there, go, are in the imperative. They are a commandment, go and preach. You know, we go, yeah, yeah, he should have done it, but Jesus is saying the exact same thing to you and me. You know that. We call this the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Commanded you. This command from Jesus is just that. It's a command. So we don't call it the great suggestion, right? Jesus is saying, look, I purchased you with my blood. All authority has been given to me. And I'm commanding you as my followers to to get into the world and make disciples. I'm not asking you. (laughs) I'm telling you to preach the gospel. I'm telling you to preach the good news. This commission of the church is not for us to wait for the world to show up. It's a challenge to us. The commission is for the church to go to the whole world. Jesus didn't say that the whole world should show up in the church. He said that the church should go to the whole world. Maybe we're thinking, yeah, the church should do that. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you this. You're the church. I'm not the church. I'm part of the church, just like you. I got to go to the whole, we all got to go to the whole world. So are you going to the whole world? Are you going to your sphere of influence with the good news? Or are you being Jonah, going in the opposite direction. Because this great commission was given by our Lord is addressed to every one of his followers, every one of us. Not just the you know, so-called professionals, the pastors, the evangelists, the missionaries. No, these words are to every follower of Jesus, every businessman, every homemaker, every student, every grandfather, every grandmother, every young boy, every young girl. If I'm a disciple, and I'm, I'm commanded to go and make disciples of Jesus. And if I'm not making disciples of others, am I really being the disciple that he's called me to, that he wants me to be? And here's the thing. To willfully not do this, I believe is a sin. And here's why I think this. James 4, 17 says, says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Jesus is challenging us here. The point is that we circulate in the world all the time and we look at people who are lost. They don't know Jesus and we carry with us the answer and we're a few feet away and we don't always reach out and pull them out of the fire, right? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me, let me, let me, let me talk, tell you about eternal life. You gotta muster up the courage to do that. Instead, we think it's really not my problem and we become Jonah. We just assume they'll hear about it somehow else. You know, Mark's version of this, he says, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And some people think Jesus said, go into the world and live a good example. We ought to do that, by the way. We should be good examples, but that is not sharing the gospel. You get the difference. I mean, I remember as a young Christian, it was kind of a thing. It was a phrase um, in the late 70s, early 80s, lifestyle evangelism. People will see the way I live. And okay, great idea, but that's not scripture. I mean, we should live a good example. The good example will potentially create for you a bridge of credibility. When you share the good news, there's something behind it. Because if you're a hypocrite, it kind of crumbles the credibility. But... um, <clears throat> the Great Commission is not to go out and be a good example. We've got to preach. We've got to verbalize it. We've got to communicate the gospel. And um, 
Um, so listen, here's what God says about this through the prophet Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Um, and here, basically, that phrase that follows there is in the same kind of blessing that I, that I gave, to my, gave to David. This scripture tells us that salvation comes in through the ear gates. Hear, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make... I mean, and it's repeated by Paul in Romans 10. But how can people call on someone they've not believed? And how can they believe in someone they've not heard about? And how can they hear without someone proclaiming him? Some people think, well, okay, I, I don't know. I'm not really comfortable bringing this up with people. I don't want to, con- conf- I don't want to have a confrontation. Um, instead, I'll just be a good example and win them over that way. You won't. Because a good example just isn't enough. It takes the good news. And, um, you know, the thing is, if you know Jesus, somebody once told you the gospel. We have to go and engage people. So the question is, how does God primarily choose to reach nonbelievers through the preaching of the gospel? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. Now, this is a... uh, Far be it from me to challenge the wording of the scripture here, but this is, I'm going to go slow because this is a little bit convoluted, what's going on in this sentence. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God decided through the nonsense of our preaching to save those who believe. Let's back up and look at that again, okay? For since in the wisdom of God, so since in the wisdom of God, now we have a parenthesis, we can put one in there. The world through its wisdom didn't know God. But since in the wisdom, because God knew that, God decided through the nonsense of our preaching to save those who believe. Also, Isaiah um, talks about this in verses 8 and 9, uh, 55, 8 and 9 and 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. This preaching of nonsense in that previous passage, it doesn't mean standing up in front of people and being a fool. But it will come across as foolishness to unbelievers. Okay? In other words, God has chosen verbal communications to get people saved. God uses people to reach people. So God says, get up and go. And Jonah got up and went in the wrong direction. Verse 3, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Hey, here's the thing. You cannot escape God's presence. The Bible tells us that God is present everywhere. Before, before all of this happened to Jonah, the Psalms um, were already written. Okay, Historically, they were already written. I wonder if Jonah had read what David said in Psalm 139. Here, here's what it says. Where can I go from your spirit? I love this psalm. Put a footnote, put a marker in your Bible. Psalm 139 ministers under so many, it's, it's like the aspirin of the Bible. It's a really, really good. Um, um, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up, uh, go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the, light are, and the light become night around me, 
Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You just can't escape from God's presence. You just can't. You can't flee from the presence of God. But Jonah really tried. Verse 3, um, continue, he said, he went down to Joppa and found a ship. I guarantee you, Jonah was looking for a ship, and the devil opened doors for Jonah's disobedience. <laughs> you know this, loved ones. God is not the only one that opens doors, okay? I mean, sometimes things will work out the way we want them to work out, and we say, oh, the door's open. Okay, really, it's good. But the question is, who opened the door? I mean, listen, if you're struggling in your marriage, Christian woman, and I'm telling you, there's always going to be a man who would be glad to counsel with you about how to deal with your um, unbelieving husband. That's a trap, (laughs) <laughs> the trap. If you're a single person looking for somebody to, um, there's always going to be a non-believer who's willing to go out with you. If you want to make money quick, there's always going to be somebody with a get-rich-quick scheme who's, you know, cut a corner here, tell a little high, lie there, don't, don't reveal something here, and it'll work out for you. I mean, the devil will always open doors for you to go in the wrong direction. That's just part of the deal. You might find your ship, it might sail on time, but if you're going to Tarshish, and God called you to Nineveh, I want you to know something. There's a storm coming, and you're going over the side. <laughs> and I'll tell you why that happens. The reason that that happens, I'm not proclaiming curse over you. I'm just telling you that's, the reason that happens is God loves you, and he's going to come after you, and he, does not, he will not allow you to go astray. <laughs> he's going to go after you. Back to verse 3. So Jonah paid the fare, and he went down into it. It's, it's expensive to sin. Because if you run away from God, you always get to pay your own fare. And, and you're never going to get what you thought you were going to get when you stepped onto the boat in the first place. This is not going to work out the way you're hoping. And every step away from God is a step down. Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the sea, down into the fish's belly, down into the deep. That's the life of running from God. Down, 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 down. It's true for David. He looked down on Bathsheba. He went down to adultery and down to deception and down to murder, down, 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 until he repented. And maybe some of us are flat out just running from God. You're you're increasingly disconnecting yourself from the Lord. And maybe we're just running from the Lord altogether. Maybe some of us have been in church for a long time and maybe for some of us, this is the very first time you've ever been in a church, ever. Here's the thing I want you to know. God is love and he loves you and he is the God of second chances we haven't even got into what happened with Nineveh but he is the God of second chances and he wants to give you as many he wants to give you a second chance right now and if you need a second chance with your life I want us to pray about it right now as we close so let's pray God um I think of the many times that I've reached a calculation in my own heart that I I knew what was right, I knew what you were calling me to, but I had a better plan, and I liked it better than the one you had had laid out for me. Forgive me for that, God. And and we do this. We, we, We test you in so many ways. We say, I want, I want to see a sign. We can just, we can be exactly like 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and say, well, if all this stuff is true about Jesus, all this, then show me a sign. I need to see it myself personally. And, and, and Lord, you call us this wicked and adulterous generation, and it's been ongoing since then. And you've shown yourself in so many ways, and the word is evidenced, and the history is so replete with examples and truth about you, and it's never enough. We're just never willing to accept it. And you tell us in your scripture that's the reason why it's impossible to please you without faith. There's a certain point where our calculations have to no longer be the result. Instead, it's faith in the love and in the call of Christ. And for whatever reasons that we might be going the opposite direction, Lord, forgive us for that. And Lord, help us to turn. Sometimes we can have so much spiritual momentum going in the wrong direction, it's hard for us to stop and to turn. And God, where we got to humble ourselves, okay, but Lord, thank you that you would tether us to the safety, God, of, of, of your heart and your hands and y- your plans for our future. Thinking about Jeremiah 29, 11, where you're not thinking about our destruction, but you're thinking about our future and our hope. God, I'm grateful that that's how you think about me. Thank you for thinking that way about me. Lord, I pray that you would, you would bring people into salvation today. You would secure the eternity of people who are lost today, I pray. While we're at church, keep your eyes closed, please, and give privacy to guests or people who don't know you that might be present. I think I just want to speak to people who, who don't know you and say, Jesus loves you, and he wants to write your name in his book. He wants to have you forever in eternity instead of the alternative. And the thing is, Scripture says that you can't do this by being a good person. All fall short of the glory of God. Everybody fails that. We all sin in some way. But Jesus, but God loved the world so much that he sent his son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, which, which means would not go to hell, but would have everlasting life. And all you have to do is call on the name of Christ and you'll be saved. All who call on the name of Christ, Lord, save me you can be saved. And I don't want to preach this anymore. I just want to give opportunity. And I'm going to pray. I won't call anybody up here. But if, can you just agree with me in that prayer? You can have your name written in that book, not by me, but by Christ. So I'm going to look across the room. If you would like to pray the prayer, Lord, save me. Just look up at me. Maybe give me a little hand wave so that I know who I'm praying for. God bless you. Way to go. The scripture says that your name is going to be written there now. God bless you too. Any others I don't want to miss? Lord, thank you for a room full of believers and for open and tender hearts today. Thank you, God, that your, your spirit is just will chase us down because of your love. It's like the entrance to hell. You're standing there with your arms spread apart saying, don't go past me. You have to go past me to go in there. And you would stop people and say, follow me to eternity. Thank you for doing that, Lord. Thank you for those today who would say, God, Jesus, save me. Save me like the, like the thief on the cross next to you. Lord, remember me when you, and, and you said today you'll be with me in paradise to that person on that other cross. So Lord, save these, we pray. We're grateful, God, for your hands upon their lives. And Lord, we, we, we pray now that not just to them, but to all of us, you would speak to us. You would order our steps. You would fill our, our pursuits, Lord, with the center of you, the crosshairs. You would put, in, put them in our heart, Lord. Help us to, to, to improve our aim and to, to, to walk, Lord, in the direction you would call for us. So pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.